Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Smart Cities Chronicles podcast. My name is Adam Beck, your host of the Chronicles, and I'm also Executive Director at the Smart Cities Council here in the Australia and New Zealand region. As you heard from our last podcast episode, I gave you an introduction and overview to what we're calling as the PropTech project, uh, a bit of an exploration uh, from the council into the idea of property technology and prop tech and what those things mean. And we're hearing, uh, hearing from a range of uh, stakeholders out there in the sort of prop tech ecosystem uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, and today on the line, we get to hear from a prop tech, place tech, plan tech kind of startup um, paper plane and, and Julia Su, the founder and CEO, is with us on the line. Julia, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's excited to be here. I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, Julia, we're, we're sort of uh, early, uh, early into our prop tech project. Um, we're sort of unpacking ideas and issues and terminology, but also um, particularly important for this episode with you, we're sort of trying to explore this idea of what prop tech for purpose means. And that'll, of course, play out over the episodes and then the article uh, that we pulled together. But um, can I start by getting you to share with our listeners who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I'm an architect by training. So I'm an architect turned placemaker turned social entrepreneur and now a prop tech founder. Um, I'm currently the founder and director of a social enterprise called Small Shift, which facilitates DIO or do-it-ourselves placemaking projects in public spaces. And we essentially try and um, use those projects as a vehicle to create employment pathways for people who face tough challenges getting jobs, who typically also um, don't really have a voice in city making. Um, and more recently, as you said, I founded Paperplane. Uh, it's a prop, prop tech startup, which jumpstarts community building in new developments. Um, it sounds absolutely awesome. I love, uh, I love everything place and people and social. Um, now, I don't want you to be shy. You've also had quite a, uh, an extensive and still do have quite an extensive CV when it comes to getting involved in placemaking. Uh, you also had the, the benefit of being one of the, uh, the Westpac scholars. Is that correct? Yeah, I was lucky enough to um, be awarded a Westpac Social Change Fellowship in 2017 at a time when I had just piloted a project before setting up Small Shift. Um, it was a project in Darlinghurst um, in partnership with Rough Edges, which is a community cafe for people experiencing homelessness. Uh, and we um, thought, well, you know, there are all these people who generally get excluded from these city-making uh, engagement processes and conversations. And we wanted to actively involve them, um, not just by nudging them to have a say, but rather really going DIY in the place. So we got a grant from the city of Sydney, um, typically given to improve shopfronts or cafes and whatnot. And we said, well, we're a cafe, we're a cafe for this particular community. Um, and we we're successful in getting that. So we completed the pilot um, with much success. And the impact that I saw was not just in the beautification or the you know, visual outcome of the project, but rather how a lot of people got involved and the, um, the impact that it had on the confidence of the people that were involved. 
Um, that, that sounds like really meaningful and impactful work. So, so, so here we have, um, you know, your, your work and leadership around sort of, you know, citizen led urbanism and, and, and social inclusion and equity. Um, we then have you in a prop tech startup sort of world now. Can you, can you share that sort of journey or transition? Like what was the, what was the thought bubble when, um, you know, you applied for the, the current accelerator that you're, that you're part of? What was, that, what was that sort of thought process? Did you have nothing else to do? And you thought, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll sort of jump in and do the startup thing. Or, or what was that? Share it with um, us. Well, I had something simmering on the back of my mind for years and years, just because being in this community-led urbanism, my work in community engagement and placemaking really depends on how well the communities we work with are self-organized to begin with. Um, and the most successful projects, whether it's a public space improvement or um, an event, really emerge in neighborhoods where people have already self-organized. So I've been thinking about what, how do we create that first step before people like me go and work with the communities? Like how do we help communities in general to self-organize on top of which they can build everything else? Um, and I was thinking about how technology could help people self-organize as the first step uh, and, you know, upon which they could develop uh, nanny or meal shares or host community barbecues or start a community garden. Um, then a colleague, colleague of mine sent me an email about Stockland Accelerator uh, and it grabbed me because it wasn't just looking for a piece of technology. It, um, its brief was to create thriving communities uh, with better health, uh, well-being, and productivity outcomes. So I thought, well, there's a bigger picture here. The purpose really um, grabbed me. And uh, so the Stockland Accelerator started last November, um, and out of 500-plus applicants, I believe, uh, 40 startups were selected at the time to participate in this two-week boot camp, um, leading to a pitch session in the end. Um, and now there are 11 startups working across all different sectors, facets of um, PropTech. So from 500 down to sort of that final, uh, that final group is, is an amazing achievement. So firstly, congratulations. I mean, that, that's, that's very, uh, very, very telling of obviously the work and the, the outcomes that you want to drive. So, okay. So you sort of enter, in, enter sort of the PropTech bootcamp accelerator process um, so I need to ask you, uh, need to sort of clear up a couple of questions, definitions. Um, what, what are your sort of first impressions? There's, there's sort of this, this prop tech thing. It's a specific word. You've obviously been involved in placemaking and development and property in the past. Where, where's your, where's your sort of level of awareness, understanding, interpretation, uh, and your mindset in terms of what, this prop tech thing is or isn't? Well, it's a very new word to me as well. I didn't know what it was until last year. <laughs> what is prop tech? I had to hashtag Google that. Um, and for me, I guess it's not it, like for me, it's probably have a very different maybe definition to what it means to other people because I'm always trying to take a different approach to um, developing a business. So with Small Shift, that was a case of, I don't wanna be just another placemaking consultant or develop a business that leads into 
a consultancy with 10, 50, 100 people working um, on different placemaking projects. Like the business itself had to serve a specific purpose. And that for me was creating um, and involving people um, without city making, you know, without their general kind of lack of um, presence in city making conversations um, more actively. And with PropTech, for me, it's bringing that innovation using technology and completely changing the way do we do things in the property sector, in my case, in community development. Okay. So I'm now going to put you on the spot. And you've done this a million times. You know, you've done your pitch a million times. I'm sure you've, you've sort of curated and, and refined that as part of your your sort of boot camp and accelerated training. So in a couple of minutes, Julia, um, what is paper plane? What's the challenge you're trying to solve and what's your solution? Oh, a couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on. You're now down to a minute and a half. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> At least we got five minutes generally. <laughs> okay. So I, I want to tell your story and um, mm-hmm. if possible, um, it might make it easier for people to understand what the challenges are. So I was in Songdo, a new smart city um, created from scratch, like on water in South Korea a couple of years ago for a conference. And after the conference, I was walking around in this vast field of, um, it's more like an urban farm. And I came across 20 to like 30 older women and men who were turning this land into an urban farm. And I asked them what was going on. And one of them said, we live in the, the new apartments behind. And this was, this land was waiting to be developed, but nothing's happened. So we're farming the land. Then I would, you know, walk around further and see like, do not cultivate signs everywhere. Right. So obviously they weren't doing this legally. Um, so I go into the apartment, the master plan community that they actually live in. It's like immaculately landscaped, beautiful water features, um, smart waste collection facilities and all of that. It's pretty amazing, right? Which begs the question of, you know, when you have such great smart infrastructure, are the residents happy and feel a sense of belonging? That's one question. And number two is when that developer comes along to develop that land, the urban farm, eventually, will they consider the urban farming component as part of their master plan, um, you know, taking into consideration how they're going to attract customers like those people who are farming there. So, you know, that to me is like one, the happiness and well-being and to how that those kind of outputs link into um, the new developments and the data that comes out of it. Um, so, the, that, those are the challenges, I guess, mm-hmm. coming out of that story is the immediate pain points that we're trying to solve for one property developers is that um, I, I know they want to foster a sense of community and well-being in their assets. Um, it's good for their customers and good for their bottom line uh, and to, for them to stay in the relevant in the market as well. And social sustainability and community building is no longer value add. Right? It's, it's the foundation of residential development. Um, and for the communities themselves, uh, the pain point is that they do want to, the community, the neighbors want to help, be helpful and want to help, but there are all these barriers like, um, you know, unstructured communication channels and lack of inspiration, lack of time and the rules that are often dictatorial and discouraging and too hard to understand. Um, so those are the complex set of challenges that we are trying to solve with this piece of technology. And so quote unquote, this piece of technology. Tell me a little bit about it. 
Okay, so paper plane help um, residents um, settle in. So from day one, residents are welcomed into their new community, learn what the rules are uh, and how to influence them, share skills, information and tools, and host community activities like neighborhood meals, kids' playtime, or gardening in the common property. Um, all of that means that uh, because it's property specific and digital, we can really measure what people have done in their communities rather than, you know, generally in qualitative research, we ask, ask them like in a survey, but this is measuring their behaviors essentially. Um, and that unique granular data set links well-being outputs to property design and um, community investment in, in, as the live social data. I, um, I love it. I love it. Um, I, I see, I see a lot of prop tech startups and just the other night I was a judge at a prop tech pitch. Um, there's a, there's a lot going on and a lot of really good work going on. This is certainly one that, uh, is, is, is close to my heart being sort of a social planner by, by trade. Um, okay. So, so I'm going to sort of ask you some questions a little bit deeper now on, on sort of the social sustainability element of this, Julia. Um, the property sector, and let me describe it this way, the, the property sector globally, but let's just talk about Australia for a moment, uh, is, is, is a global leader in green building, okay? You know, for the last sort of 18, 19 years, the Green Building Council of Australia has done a, a phenomenal job in helping fundamentally transform real estate and property in Australia. Um, we have a very, at the, you know, most of the time we have a very passionate and committed um, property sector that wants to build green, uh, do do sustainability as much as possible, and of course, over the years that's evolved to things like you know well-being and other sort of associated um, uh, sort of issues, which are, which are very important. So, so property and sustainability in uh, in Australia have have really gone hand in glove for for quite some time. Mm -hmm. It's very it's very clear where sustainability fits. Uh, fits with with your work, but I I'm seeing in places, and I'm wanting to get your views on this. I'm seeing in places uh, a whole bunch of sort of prop tech effort, um, certainly go into areas that I wouldn't necessarily describe as being socially impactful or fundamentally helping change the world or reducing our planetary impact. You know, very good solutions to help certain parts of the property process or property life cycle be more efficient and things like that. Um, if I'm to sort of summarize my question, where do you think this idea of, of prop tech for purpose, where, where is it at in your view? What are you sort of seeing? Who are you hanging out with? Uh, is, 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 is prop tech um, in your mind, you know, the, the, the efforts, the investment, is it sort of, going into particular areas? Are you feeling good about it or otherwise? Yeah, no, definitely. I feel very lucky and optimistic to be in the sector in Australia. So as a Westpac Social Change Fellow, I did travel for three months um, across the world, 14 cities, generally cities that have been um, or are now considered to be one of the most livable cities in the world. And I came back thinking, wow, like Australia is doing pretty well in the sector because of the various um, CSR uh, actors that are driving the space 
um, and lots of social entrepreneurs um, that I, maybe I'm in that bubble <laughs> that I'm, I'm constantly inspired by. Um, property developers, uh, we have been speaking with um, to develop paper plane. There are, I see, I meet so many people who are leading this conversation and are genuinely interested in the community's well-being and health. And at the moment, um, there's a big established um, drive in community investment. So that is really um, in the form of grants, community grants or grants to local organizations. Um, and that, I think that's really important. What Paper Plane wants to do though is create a space where application for grants is not necessary because we are really leveraging the intrinsic motivations of people who do want to help um, and do want to bring a play or do want to, you know, share their name, whatever it may be. Um, I, I feel very good and I feel very much supported in the sector. Um, and as you call it prop, prop tech with purpose, I think this is the right place to be. And um, your sort of assessment is that in Australia, the sort of prop tech for purpose is, uh, is in a good place. We've, we've got a, uh, uh, you know, a strong commitment to that. You, you're, you're feeling confident? Yeah, absolutely. And moving forward, I think that it just gets stronger. I've um, spoken with property developers who probably exceeded my expectation in um, their genuine commitment and interest in, for example, um, affordable and social housing. Um, mm -hmm. I've had conversations about um, how paper playing could be introduced in the environment of um, integrated housing because I've seen in the UK, for example, in the most, uh, you know, ethically developed developments, how there's still this divide between social housing tenants and open market housing tenants in that, you know, the guys who bought at open market price will go downstairs to the cafe and um, have coffee, whereas people in social housing don't have as much disposable income. So their activities and behaviors might be a little bit different. Um, in Australia at the moment, in integrated housing, there is no kind of umbrella um, management or kind of strategy to truly uh, help those residents get to know each other. And um, I, I, I feel that um, my, I guess, my network in both um, community housing provider sector as well as property development, um, they're really interested in having this conversation further. Uh, Julia, do you um, do you have any beyond, of course, making you know a deep impact in in people's lives? Do you have any strategic bigger goals with Paper Plane? I mean, are you one of those that you know you want to get it to a size, scale it, sell it for a couple of million, move on to your next one? Like, where is your mindset at in terms of being a startup now, and you know where where you sort of a structurally building this startup and where you want it to go. <laughs> Maybe I can share my <laughs> secret plan then. <laughs> no one knows about this yet. <laughs> well, essentially what I would like is um, for paper plane to be super successful and um, provide that digital platform that can be used everywhere. Um, mm. But not every project that the community members want to do uh, will be easy. So some of the pro like bigger placemaking projects, for example, that Small Shift carries out, um, they do need to 
have a facilitator, for example, and they need, a, need support to make that project happen. So I'm hoping that, you know, paper plan can provide a platform for everybody to self-organize and uh, create and host and participate in their own community activities rather than depending on the council or the property developer. But when there's a need for the bigger project to happen and they need a little support, uh, a social enterprise like Small Shift can step in and create bigger impact by creating an employment pathways for people with barriers to employment. And that sort of... Um that, that sort of plan or mindset that you've got, tell me how your previous or your career to date has either put you in, in a really good place to, to do the startup thing now. Um, did you, do, do you think paper plane would have been possible with, without it being a startup? Like how, how does this, how does your current startup job You've got other day jobs as well, but how does your current startup job and what the process is of that and what the, you know, the, the culture and the mentality and all of those things that come with the startup world, how does that fit with, you know, your career to date, which is mm. uh, what, I mean, is, is small shift not a startup? I mean, have your other, have your other jobs not been startups? They've just been normal jobs? How does, what's that journey in your career been? Yeah, no, I don't think, I don't consider Small Shift to be a startup just because we are very much um, tied to the locations that we are in. Um, mm-hmm. We have physical people <laughs> working in, in that team. Um, but I think the mindset shift to being in a startup wasn't too hard for me, to be honest, because placemaking in itself is about testing, trying and learning all the time. Um, there is no perfect solution. It's about testing and experimenting um, small things and learning from those small things and uh, building uh, momentum off of that. So in that sense, um, working with Blue Chili has been pretty um, seamless and easy in that uh, we're constantly experimenting where every week uh, we see something different (laughs) because we've made changes. Um, And I think any founder, uh, if you want to, be successful, I, th- I think you have to be um, resilient in the sense that not afraid of change uh, and really have an open mind to what will happen next week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, we, we need to certainly give a shout out to Blue Chili and the amazing work they've done over the last couple of years with, with not only this accelerator with Stockland, but also um, uh, their, their previous um, uh, Smart Cities um, startup accelerator a couple of years back. Um, I, I have the, the the benefit of sort of being one of the advisors to to the current um, accelerator. And when those weekly updates come through of of all of the the startups on a weekly basis, I feel like it's in real time. There's just multiple iterations, and every everyone's pivoting every sort of ten days. And um, it's certainly uh, it's certainly a very agile um, sort of world. Uh, Julia, what you've learned so far in the startup world and taking, you know, paper plane to where it is, um, what do you, what will you take away or what do you take away into your other work that sort of is quote unquote non-startup world? What do you, what what have you learned? What do you take back as lessons? Mm, I think the biggest transition for me was shifting from a consultant mindset to 
uh, designing a product for customers. So what Blue Chili is very good at and will make you do <laughs> is validation forever. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so ma- it doesn't ma- stop. Make those 100 calls. That's exactly right. Yes. <laughs> That's right. And I'm kind of used to that because I'm constantly trying to get more data from talking to people, surveys and workshops. So I'm, I'm trained in qualitative research and stepping into this, like, oh, it shouldn't be a problem. And still, it's kind of like, okay, it's not over yet. <laughs> hundred yeah. interviews later, it's like, yep, continue doing it. And I, I see real value in that because as a consultant, I'm trying to um, provide solutions uh, to a problem. And that generally comes from my strategic directions based on evidence that I find um, with a primary or secondary. But with validation, it's very much like, you know, you do five interviews this week <laughs> and build on those interviews to uh, create a different set of slightly shifted set of questions for next week. And so that kind of approach I find is very, very valuable. And I, I hope I don't forget to continue to do that into the future. Yeah. And no, I th- thanks for sharing that. What, what your response there does is spark an interesting, maybe a provocative question for you maybe a little bit unfair. Uh, maybe a little bit unfair but um so so you spoke then about your transition from sort of consulting into sort of startup now with prop tech um and the prop tech thing is that different to property technology is that different to others that are doing property technology work and, and embedding technology and data solutions into property. So those that are doing that, but are not startups, is that now, uh, as you can tell, I'm evolving this question as I think it through, but what I'm trying, what I'm trying to unpack here is, you know, there's always this question about what's the difference between prop tech and property technology. Now we've been doing property technology for, you know, eons, Um, you know, more than 20 years ago, things like building information modeling was introducing high tech, you know, data analytical processes to the design of property. So, you you know, that's just sort of my my backdrop here. Um, I'll I'll try and sharpen this question up. Um, In terms of greatest impact, social, environmental, um, do you feel that the non- startup world of property technology um, is going to be as impactful as, you know, heaps and heaps of prop tech startups. Give me a, are you in a position based on your previous work in your career to give me a sense of the startup world prop tech solving problems in property versus maybe the more analog property technology processes of solving problems, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm not sure whether there's a distinct, that's a distinction between being a startup and a, not a startup. Um, I think there's something else to it, which is your, I guess, our definition of what innovation is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the startups that come along uh, in this era tend to have more uh, socially or environmentally focused, purpose-driven uh, concepts and ideas. Uh, and I don't know whether that's 
those kind of people are attracted to startups. I, I'm not sure. Um, but I think we'll start to kind of see that uh, distinction uh, more into the future. Okay. Okay. Um, that's good. So we're going we're gonna to start sort of getting to the end of our time together, but I wanted to go back to another point and pick up sort of your, you know, your, um, your passion for placemaking, your, your work, in, indeed your, you know, profession originally, you know, architecture. Um, I've worked with, with architects for a long time, being a, mm-hmm. a, a social and urban planner myself. You know, I've spent a lot of time hanging out with, with sort of architects, planners, landscape architects, urban designers. Um, so, you know, your, your work with Small Shift and your previous work, it kind of doesn't get more granular and community focused um, on the ground. Um, where, where do you think the role of technology and data plays in the future of planning, urban design, landscape architecture, you know, those city shaping professions Mm. at at times, very analog professions, you know, butters paper and pencils and sitting around tables, engaging people with tea scones and a cup of, you know, a cuppa. Where where do those, (laughs) where where, where do those um, core city shaping professions go into the future alongside this, this behemoth, technology disruption process that we're seeing everywhere? Yeah, no, that's a good question. (laughs) No, when I was an architect, I remember, (laughs) don't tell anyone, I remember having to (laughs) print these drawings, right? Like DA drawings or construction drawings on large pieces of paper. It was probably very expensive. And you make a mistake like a line and you have to reprint the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just think back to those times going, Oh my God, like how much paper did we waste and how that mindset was like, you had to complete a drawing. You had to complete a project so that it could be printed so that it could be constructed. Mm. Um, I can't imagine that happening now. Everything has to be, you know, like ready for change all the time. And I, I, I really enjoy that because um, that means we can, you know, correct our courses, um, you know, at real time, essentially. And when we see something that is not working, um, I think people in our industry uh, are coming along in this journey, but um, not quickly enough, in my opinion. The... Um sort of the, the, the prop tech um, umbrella term often has underneath it this, uh, this sort of idea of plan tech and, and place tech. Just on place for a moment, I mean, you've, you've spent a lot of time in, in place and working with people. You know, we are seeing more and more um, the, the idea of, of movement uh, and activity in places being monitored. Um, there's some amazing IoT pilots going on all around Australia that relate to people counting, you know, pedestrian yeah. and cyclists, you know, all for the purposes of trying to understand place and how people interact in that so that we can confirm our designs and, of course, you know, shape 
shape those investments in place as the best way possible. What's um, it's hard to escape, you know, the concern around security and privacy and cameras and data and things like that. Um, can I put you on the spot and ask you, sort of, what are your views around that at the moment? Um, how do you potentially see that playing out in the coming years? Um, there's a lot of big global forces, of course, that are building certain perceptions around privacy and security and things like that, for, you know, all for good reason. But what's your, what's your sort of headspace in that regard at the moment? Mm, no, I think um, I remember back to the days when I used to go out on the streets and literally count people. Mm-hmm, <laughs> not, mm-hmm. not very long ago, to be honest. Um, and when those conversations had started about, oh, we could do this sort of ethically all the time, uh, which meant that you would, you, you would actually get to know, you would have a lot of PI, essentially. Um, and having seen how that, played out in places like Songdo in South Korea, the smart city that I mentioned before. I think we have to think carefully about what it's for because there's so much data that's just lying around at the moment and data on its own does not give us insights. We still need humans who um, know what to look for and how to interpret that data anyway. Um, I I think in terms of... um, privacy, uh, there's no really coherent um, conversation about what it is that uh, need to be protected and what people want. So there are bigger conversations to be had. Yeah, and I, uh, I certainly agree that those conversations are needed. They need to be coherent and they will, uh, they will certainly get, uh, get bigger. Um, so, okay, Julia, last, uh, last sort of question or two for you. Um, talk to me about 2019 and Julia and what you're looking forward to. Um, and then the follow-up to that is um, in three years, where do, you, where do you sort of see yourself? So what does 2019 look like? But then also tell me three years' time, what type of conversation you and I would be having, what would you be doing? Mm. Well, this year is going to be a massive year. I'm just thinking about the next week (laughs) and that's quite full on as well. But um, moving forward, the big dates are going to be, uh, we're going to start piloting paper play at the end of next month, hopefully. Uh, And we have the paper plane product showcase on the 1st of May and investor showcase on the 24th of July. Um, Email me if anybody wants to come to any of those things. Um, And then uh, I guess, 2019 is just going to be testing um, how paper plane rolls out in the sites that we are piloting and learning from that to build on. Three years, oh gosh. Um, I'm really hoping that um, paper plane and small shifts can work together <laughs> as um, sister companies um, creating social impacts through digital technology. Um. Well, Julia, I I wish you all the best. Your your work, not only with Paper Plane, but also Small Shift and everything you've been doing when I look at your CV has been nothing but trying to make the best possible cities for people. Um, I love 
that type of work. I love people like you and the ambition and, and truly wish you um, all the best with, with paper plane for those, uh, for those keen to uh, find a little bit, uh, find out a little bit more about paper plane. You can head to paperplane.co co. Uh, Julia's got uh, some really good information up there. And of course, anyone interested in sort of going further or deeper in, in conversation with Julia, certainly, um, certainly reach out. Um, uh, Julia, this has been a delight talking to you. Thank you for being one of our um, uh, one of our interviewees as part of our PropTech project. Uh, I look forward to maybe checking in uh, in a year's time to see how you're going. But uh, for now, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Um, so for our listeners, that was Julia Sue, the founder um, and CEO of PropTech startup paper plane. Um, this has been one of a number of episodes in our PropTech project, as we mentioned at the introduction. For those that aren't subscribing to the Smart City Chronicles, you can do so. Uh, the usual platforms like SoundCloud and Spotify and Apple iTunes podcasts. You can also head to our website, uh, smartcitieschronicles.com. Uh, to find out more information. Uh, thanks for joining us on this episode. We look forward to bringing you more conversations around the PropTech project. But for now, have a great week and keep well. <laughs>